Um, well, first off, thank you so much for taking the time to talk today. It's a, a real, real pleasure. It's a pleasure. Thank you for asking. So, I guess just to get to know you, uh, at what point in your life did you decide that music was the direction you wanted to go in, and I guess more specifically, composing for narratives? Well, that's a, an interesting question, because I think probably around about age five, <laughs> I started, <laughs> apart from bashing the piano in my parents' house, sort of a lot and, and actually storytelling with the piano at, at that young age. I mean, for me, music, I think, started off as a form of storytelling. But mm -hmm. I, I was also playing with a puppet theatre and I would put on pieces of music um, and and do kind of uh, pieces of, 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 of sort of very crude puppetry. Um, and I, I was just really excited about what music could do for storytelling. And in fact, I think I felt at that age that music was a story. That was sort of the point right. of it for me. I mean, I love melody, I love music in concert settings and so on, but I find it very difficult to separate music from drama mentally. Mm -hmm. So I've never been somebody, for example, who's had a parallel career, much as I admire people who do. I mean, John Williams being a great exponent of somebody who's got an extraordinary concert music uh, uh, catalogue, for want of a better word, a repertoire. Um, right. I love pieces of his like Tree Song. But again, I listen to that piece, for example, and I hear I hear a story. <laughs> there is one implied there, but um, so I, I I think that the two things of narrative and music have, have pretty much been inseparable uh, for, for me as as long as I can remember. Mm -hmm. And did you have any uh, musicians or composers playing a big role in influencing you and inspiring you? Well, that's tricky. I've got very very Catholic taste. Um, ah, okay. I I love. A, a huge range of, of of music from you know the more dissonant end of the spectrum right, right. through to the most sort of passionate romantic melodic writing mm -hmm. uh, and i i love i love film composers who who try to rethink the way that music can work with narrative sometimes that's not successful but i love to see people experimenting with the idiom and uh finding new ways of telling stories just in the proms, the uh, the proms in London the other night was the most extraordinary performance of Alexander Nevsky, and mm. it was it was really interesting to hear it because Prokofiev took some really interesting risks with that, but they all pay off. I mean, but perhaps possibly not surprising for such a great composer, but right, right. Um, but it is the most. It it it's it's wonderful to hear such emotional intensity coming from an orchestra like that. It's 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 a fantastic piece of work. Mm -hmm. So I would, um, oh yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say I would, I would count him as a, as an inspiration, but amongst many, many other composers. Right. Uh, well, I'd like to congratulate you on your Emmy nomination for Any Human Heart. That's uh, that must have been a, a big thing for you. It, it's lovely, and um, if I can be modest, it it follows <laughs> surreally swiftly on the on the toes of of, of receiving an Ivan Novello Award and right, a, right. a BAFTA Award here in Britain. So. I, I have to say, I think I've been very lucky in getting the project because I think it's it 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 was a, a gift for a composer to work on. It's such a passionate story, and it's a story which encompasses a whole man's life. So I mean, it's quite an intimidating challenge to take that on. But you know, mm -hmm. we all want challenges. We all want to be pushed, and I think exactly that, yeah that lies. You know, I have that to thank for the success that the the series has received. And uh, how did you get involved with the project? Well, um, actually, very often, 
one is approached by a member of the production team who you've worked with before, mm-hmm. such as the editor. Most typically, I'd say, editors tend to be your allies in, in forging new relationships with directors and so on. But in this case, I was approached by a completely fresh team of people, none of whom I'd worked with before. And it, you know, they were obviously scouting for people. And I'd, you know, I'd, I had never asked them quite why they approached me, but they obviously liked some of the things I said in an interview, and, and obviously they were listening closely to, to demo reels and so on. Mm-hmm, right. And I remember at the time, I was also, I have a parallel career doing sort of uh, rather strange large-scale artworks outdoors, one of whom, one of which, I should say, is uh, just in the last couple of weeks played over London. It's played from seven hot air balloons in a sort of giant surround sound system. Wow. Um, <laughs> and it, it marked the beginning of the countdown to the London Olympics in 2012. But at that time, uh, which is pretty much a year ago now, I was working on another piece very similar in a way that is played from seven ice cream vans, which <laughs> parade around a neighborhood and create, again, a sort of giant interlocking counterpoint of music that I've composed, um, that people hear haunting the the, the, the sort of <laughs> skies and, and the air over a suburb uh, and coming from the distance. And actually, funny enough, that came to me as an idea when I was working on a film. And it was a film set in Margate, which is a British seaside town, which, to be frank, has probably seen better days, though I I'm hasten to add it's on the up now, not wishing to offend any citizens <laughs> of Margate. Um, but it's... It, it, I thought, you know, what is the sound of the seaside town? It's, it's the sound of ice cream vans approaching in the distance. And I thought, what? Mm. It's a, it's a, it was a rather sad story. And I thought, what if, rather than the jaunty, jaunty music you hear typically, what if you heard something slightly sad and melancholy unfolding? And then, almost like a conspiracy, another van comes and joins in from a different direction. And that's where the idea came from. And I was working on this at the time I met... Um, the, the, the producers and director Michael Samuels uh, for Any Human Heart and I think they were so intrigued <laughs> that I was going off and doing such strange things that they they sort of thought that alongside my you know a fairly solid body of work for film and television that I you know I was worth taking a, a bet on so they did and I'm very <laughs> pleased um, Well that's, that's a very well deserved nomination um, and uh, so, but you've also you have a large filmography uh, at balances, you know, TV and films. And uh, do you find any major differences between the two mediums when it comes to you know composing for, I guess, a shorter form narrative within you know two hours, or a longer form narrative that stretches you know several episodes? That's a very good question. I think the the, the form is the great challenge in film music and television, and mm-hmm. and and sort of you know delivering your score to fit the, the length, I think you've, you've, you've sort of answered the question with your question in the sense that that is, for me, I, I think that the, trying to hone the form dramatically through the music is, is what excites me most. I mean, it would be arrogant to say that being able to write music is like an act of being able to talk, but you do have to sort of be as good at curating your work through the form of the piece, as you do mm-hmm. editing. And I, I think, in a way, they're two separate tasks. I'm failing to answer your question by saying this in a way <laughs> of buying myself some time. But one, one thing I try to do now is I actually have two separate rooms to work in. One for writing, you know, rolling up my sleeves, getting the spanners out and putting the hood up and, 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 and really getting down to musical nuts and bolts and, and programming and, 
uh, orchestrating and so on. And then the other room is very much about how the music is working with the film or the television episode in 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 situ. So to sit down, curl up on a sofa almost, and watch it like I had nothing to do with it and see how it's affecting me as as, as close as I can become. I mean, obviously, it's like trying to you know, tickle yourself, but you, it's impossible. <laughs> but you, you, you try to get some distance from it and see how the music is working in the context of the film. And for me, I was actually inspired to do that by um, uh, Pixar, because I know it's, a, huh. it's not completely analogous, but I, I thought their working process, the idea that they review their work every day, is, is just fantastic. I think it's so simple in one sense. I mean, it's kind of, it sounds obvious. You think, well, everybody should do that. But right. the problem with writing music is you really get into a kind of fairly furious work cycle, especially with the timetables we have. Um, and, and there's very, you need to make a deliberate attempt, I think, to get out of that cycle to review what you do. So that's, that doesn't answer your question. I suppose thinking about that um, form is the key difference I mean it l l the length of the form is, is is obviously key to getting that right but the other thing I love about cinema is is the, the there are usually longer time scales right and, yeah and so that curating process I think becomes a bit richer so you have more time to actually reconsider what you've written and, and think about taking some risks or not. Well, they become less of a risk because you have chance, a chance to see how they work in the, the entire context. So I've worked on projects, for example, Max, which was a John Cusack project directed by mm -hmm. Mendes, where um, I'd written certain pieces for certain scenes. And I sat down with Menno Mayers and he, he said, you know, he, he's quite a, well, he's a very brave guy and, um, in, in storytelling and, and, and an expert storyteller. And he, he said, you know, we should try that cue over there. And that piece you wrote for that scene, we should try it over there. And at first I was quite upset, you know. Um, and I, I sort of thought, well, this is, this is crazy because I spent ages refining that music for that particular scene. And you know what? He was right. And uh, I, I, I learned a huge amount from him about just thinking the music through again and seeing it's about taking stock seeing what you've got and how to apply it of course there are certain things you can't do that with they're written just too closely to mm -hmm. the music. but when you're dealing with a film such as that which is got it's a very delicate subject it was about hitler actually and um the emotional intensity required was was obviously well it it, it had to be very delicately balanced because we could have gone too far and um, and 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 brought the thing out in a rash, but uh, we were, you know, it was looking at the the emotional pitch of the music and seeing where it fitted best. And I, I think it's it's, you know, it's it's in Britain at the moment. Television is increasingly under pressure, sort of year on year. Uh, the schedule seems to get shorter, and so it's that the, the, I. You know, I don't want to be negative about it, but I think that the greatest thing about film is having just that bit extra time to consider right, how yeah. the music beds into the film. Um, I mean, also working on television. I mean, you, you talk about timetable and all that, and and deadlines. But is it easy to lose focus? I mean, you're composing, I guess, more quantity, you know, qu higher quantity of music. Is it easier for your your, I guess, the focus of the music just to kind of drift off and you may be like oh I forgot what we were doing at the beginning of the series and kind of you know try, how do you keep your music like focused throughout the entire 
that's a that narrative in question. Funnily enough, I I don't find I have that problem. I'm surprised I don't because I'm logically you would think that were the case. But in fact, I think all composers are probably familiar with that process of getting into the zone. And whilst, you know, with mm -hmm. certain amounts of, of experience, you may not be so worried about the sort of blank page syndrome once you're a fair way into your career. You certainly accumulate speed and as it were, you, you, you've, you've gained a familiarity with the geography of the, of the drama, so you've got to know your characters, you've got to know and understand their relationships. And it's great as well, working on a series such as a four-parter, Like Any Human Heart, where we had effectively four feature-length episodes. And I right. think by, yeah. the, by the fourth episode, I was... I, I, I was in the zone, as they say. I, you know, I hope so, anyway. It's not for me to say that. <laughs> but I, I, I really felt I understood and identified with Logan Mount Stewart, the central character, um, at least as an audience member, I identified with him. And I, I, you know, so you're working sort of on ever more subtle nuances. And I think that's a great, great pleasure and privilege where you've got, you know, three times one and a half hours behind you and you can actually start to refine those ideas and, and bring them to, to bear. I think, you know, had I done those four episodes separately, you know, sort of like four if it was a four-part um, series of sequels in a film that were, were spaced apart by a year, you wouldn't have that continuity. And I, so I think actually the, the continuous sort of nature of doing a series means that you can really home in on, on the, the, the emotional intensity and, and detail that you really want to. Right, and which, uh, yeah, I, mean, I agree completely with that. Uh, I've talked to you know, a few other composers who... I think I mentioned it to someone, and he goes, you know, I really didn't even think about that. He was, like, always composing in the moment, so I thought it was always interesting to see what everyone's take on that is. Um, but you you also, you have a, a background in, in, you know, live theater as well, right? That's right, yes. So that must be a completely different animal composing for, you know, a performance that's live on stage, but it's still, you're, you know, telling a story, and I'm sure, I think... I guess timing would be my biggest question. Like, how does timing work, you know, when you're composing something that's performed in the moment? That's very true. I mean, the technology has got a lot more advanced to help um, make that more achievable because obviously mm -hmm. nothing's locked off as it would be with a, a final cut on a film. So you're absolutely right. You need to create the music in a way which is flexible. But I think you come at it from the start with, with that in mind. And, and so you do possibly do less underscoring, for example, or if you do do underscoring, you bring your musical components, if I can put it that mechanically, in a way in which they can be layered up with separate trigger points. And mm -hmm. there's fantastic software now for, for making that realizable. I mean, I do work with a lot of electronic ambient music in theatre because it is more applicable in a way. Um, right. Uh, I'm very lucky to be working now at the National Theatre, and we're still trying to work out how much live music you know, direct live performance we can input into the piece. Because, of mm -hmm. course, naturally, working with live performers gives you the greatest flexibility because they can actually just listen to what's going on and respond. But you obviously have to write in a way which gives them the chance to do that. It's it's surprising how, despite the fact that things change from night to night, there's still an amazing um, consistency in the way that actors deliver things. And as long as you build in a certain kind of... Sorry, elasticity in mm -hmm. the music, um, 
and and you're working with a, a lovely bunch of players who can who can you know tune into that as I did just a couple of months ago at the Royal Shakespeare Company, then they it actually becomes a magical thing because it's like having the film orchestra live every night for the film. <laughs> you know, it's, it's um, they they can respond to the actors. They get to know things that they actually. You're kind of delegating things in a way which is delightful because they will take that on and they will understand what you've offered up on in in sort of manuscript terms, musical manuscript, and they will then, you know, actually take it on twice as far again in terms of their expression, which they kind of improve and it mellows like fine wine every night. It's it's magical actually. It's a lovely thing. Um, so and also, uh, I guess with. You've also composed documentaries, which I think is another different animal to tackle. I mean, it's also it's a, it's a narrative, you know, a film of a narrative. But does it uh, affect your writing process, knowing that the the story and the characters are all real? I think that's a really interesting question, and and you've again hit on on one of the central points there in your question, which is about what a difference it makes for a, a character to be fictional. And it could mm -hmm. sound pretentious, but I, I do go strongly with the idea that you need to take your characters really seriously in drama, as if they were real. And and if you want your audience to sort of fall in love with them in some way, you have to do that. It's a, it's a, a difficult thing because, for example, I've worked on a, a documentary about the Rwandan genocide, which is pretty much the darkest kind of subject one could expect ever to work on in a documentary. And... Mm -hmm. Uh, I was taking my foot right off the gas there in terms of, of, of trying to pedal any kind of emotion because you actually, as much as respecting the tragedy of the people involved, you want to respect the audience's intelligence about how they're coming at it and what they understand. And in that sort of situation, I feel that the music is, is trying to... Is, this is a purely a metaphor, obviously, but it's, it's trying to create a space for the audience and the subject matter to, to share so that the audience feel connected and closer to the subject rather than you know trying to push their emotions in any way at all and i actually learned a lot i i i like to think i learned a lot from that sort of way of thinking when it comes to drama and i think it does apply to uh, some of the people i admire working in in feature films in hollywood and elsewhere um and some very you know great filmmakers as well have sort of embraced that idea that you must you know, that half the work music can do is, is bringing the audience close to the characters and to respect them in a way, if you want sort of genuine empathy and, and compassion in your audience, um, that you, you do treat them in the same way as if they were real. I think there are less, there are more similarities than differences in a way. Mm -hmm. Um, see, that might not apply to some fantastic thing like Toy Story or, <laughs> you know, <laughs> But I, I, you know, and of course, there's fantastic fantasies and and you know action movies where that that may not apply in the same way at all. But you know, for certainly for the more sort of honed and, and delicate dramas, psychological dramas, I think there's a lot of that which does apply. Right. Yeah, I agree completely. Um, I guess or what's the what's the hardest part about telling a story through music, in your your opinion? Well. I I think it's I, I like to think that it's 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 I think we've already dealt with it in a way I think form and mm -hmm. and and sustaining the form and and making sure that you have enough perspective on the whole trajectory of the story 
um, to do it justice because it's very easy to get very excited about what your music is doing for a particular scene. But then, as we all know, there's the trick when you watch it on a run of realising that you just either went too far or didn't go far enough. And it's it's seeing how it works on a run that I think is, is the difficult thing. And, <coughs> excuse me, we all work in processes which mean, you know, right up through the final mix of the, the dub of the film, um, where you're bringing everything together, the dialogue and the sound effects and so on. I think we, we can tend to work in very small cycles and, and, and lose our perspective. So I think that's one great challenge. Um, but the, the other thing is, is, is just finding the music which doesn't do what I call a placard for the emotion. It mm-hmm. has to, you know, I mean, we can all write things which are identifiable as, as signifying happy or sad or jealous or um, in love. But I think the ambition for every composer I, I know and, have, you know, enjoyed sort of talking to is, is obviously to go beyond that and try and see those sort of magic things in the air that really make the audience feel that rather than telling the audience that's what's going on. <laughs> and yeah, right. And and that's you know that's it's not that that's necessarily difficult. Well, it is difficult, but I mean it's it's the ambition. It's what I aspire to personally, and and um, it's it's why perhaps I've been a bit iconoclastic at the way I've come at uh, at, at, the, at some of the scores I've done is is because I've I may have sort of taken things uh, in a roundabout route to get there, but it's because I'm sort of trying to try out as many different ideas as possible. I have what I call a, a high shooting ratio. I really try and write a lot for each film and, and throw away a lot as well. Mm. So if that's the hardest, what's the, what's the easiest? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it all feels so easy when you've written it all and you just go, you know, brush your, <laughs> dust yourself down and you think, yeah, that wasn't so bad, was it? But the torture <laughs> involved sometimes, you know, when you're up at three at three in the morning. That's the hard thing. Three thirty in the morning, and you're sort of still you've still not got a big, big idea that symbolises the sort of central thesis of the film. Um, what's the easiest thing? I think towards the end of a of a, I tell you what's easy is is handing your score over to brilliant players. Mm, I I, yeah. I adore that. I absolutely love it. I worked with a great conductor on Any Human Heart, Alistair King who uh, looked at my score, made some very intelligent questions, very simple questions about what I wanted. Um, and then, delightfully, I have to say, said very few things to the orchestra and just generated such emotional intensity from what they were doing, from one piece I'd written that was pretty much a kind of 3.30 in the morning type of piece, <laughs> but a very important one because it, it, it was to be played right at the end of um, the first episode and, and was basically without wanting to give anything away for anybody who's not seen it and wants to enjoy it. There's uh, an amazing sort of emotional dilemma right at the end of the, the first episode for, for the central character, Logan. And um, and that that was a delight, working with Alistair King. Can I just say one other thing, though, is delightful, is to work with a story written by a man like um, William Boyd, uh, mm-hmm, right. and, and adapted it, because it is just masterful storytelling it's an extraordinary novel and i think if i'd read the novel i'd have said you probably shouldn't adapt it for television because it relies on such labyrinthine detail in in the history of a whole man's life but actually he did an amazing job with michael samuels of, of selecting exactly what was required to take you through this this whole life story 
uh, which is also a story of the 20th century. So that was a delight as well. And of course, as a composer, whilst you might complain about the fact you're last in line for the budget and schedule, <laughs> you, you also inherit the, um, the contributions of virtually everybody else. And, you know, in this case, it was a stellar cast. And uh, um, so sort of riding on all their talent, I have to say, is, is, a, is a fantastic feeling. And it makes me feel quite guilty as well about winning any awards because I sort of think they should get a bit more of the credit <laughs> that sounds ridiculous but you know you sort of feel you see where I'm coming from they you, you right yeah you're, you're inheriting a lot of hard work from other people which is a great inspiration but I, I've always thought that the scores one of the scores main responsibilities is to pretty much tie everything all of those you know aspects of film together cinematography production design care you know story so it kind of blends them all together and creates mosaic and a you know a quilt if you will of and just binds everything together so that's what i so i guess i mean if you're doing that then i think you're doing the right thing so <laughs> well that's yes it's, it's a lovely way of putting it it's sort of tying a bow on the whole thing and again the challenges and the successes and the ease or difficulty with which that happens may be to do with the ease or difficulty with which those things are going together anyway in some ways mm -hmm. uh, sometimes it feels like you're trying to find a, a magic bullet that will just, you know, sort of silver bullet that will absolutely solve a very particular kind of issue to do with uh, possibly tonal discrepancies and so on. I mean, that's happened in everybody's career. I have to say, not the case in any human heart. It was, everything was working together beautifully. And I was also handed a, some incredibly intelligent and brilliant steers about the, the spotting of the music by the editor and the director, Michael Samuels who, you know, I, I, I really felt very lucky about that. So, um, it's, But you're absolutely right. It is trying to bring all of those things together. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess to, uh, to close things, uh, wrap things up, um, I always like to ask uh, composers, if, uh, if you had the opportunity to rescore any film ever made without any disrespect to the original composer, uh, which, which film would you pick? Oh, that is so difficult. I found, <laughs> <laughs> and of course, the, the 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 cruel thing about that question is it feels like it would be intensely disrespectful to any <laughs> I mean, I think there are probably. Um, I think it would be great to to do a score for Metropolis, perhaps, or I'm. I mean, you know, oh gosh, I, I want to go away for about two days and think about that. I think. Um, <laughs> There are just films I adore, and that normally if I adore them, I think that's because of the music. Um, yeah. it's, 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 the tricky thing about that question as well is, is not to mistake simply the films you love. Um, sometimes you might love them not because of the music in particular anyway. I mean, I'm not, you know, sort of complete sort of, I don't watch films just because of the music anyway, but uh, uh, that's a tricky one. Can I come back to it? <laughs> Yeah, sure, no problem. You can email, email it to me if you'd like. Yes, I will. I will. There's a postscript. We'll, we'll tie that one on. <laughs> All right, well, uh, Dan, thank you so much uh, for your time. And uh, I know you're wrapping up your day in, in England right now, so have a good night. And you, and we'll have a good rest of your day. And, and, and thanks for talking to me. It's really delightful to talk to you, Kai. Thanks. Mm -hmm.